You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I'm Greg Brady. I'm the pastor. And um, if I have not met you, I would love to meet you. If you're worshiping online with us, thank you for worshiping together. Um, and uh, it's great to see so many people here today. We are looking at um, some of Jesus' I Am statements. In the Bible, we're looking at the Gospel of John today, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Let's, uh, let's read this. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it is even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are humbled with this image of you, the vine, we, the branches, and this invitation you give to be connected to you, to draw nourishment from you. Lord, will you nourish us now as we turn to your word? Will your spirit flow through us? Will you grow our inner being and help us to live with love, with joy, with peace, with hope? We pray all these things in your name. Amen. One of the things to realize about this passage, and it may be a pretty familiar passage to you, is when Jesus says these words. He says these words to his disciples the very last evening that he spends with them before he goes to the cross. And you can imagine that um, all of Jesus' last words, well, okay, let's say this. You can imagine that all of Jesus' words are important. His last words, very important. Um, and uh, so as we think about what we just read, you can, at least I can, um, I can imagine Jesus pouring his, his heart out to his disciples, um, saying, knowing he's about to leave them and saying to them, I want you to be connected to me. Um, he talks about this, this relationship that he has with them, and it's going to be an ongoing relationship, he reveals. He says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my Holy Spirit to you. My Holy Spirit will live in you. 
and through my spirit, you will remain connected to me. I want to look at three things that we see about this connection that Jesus is so passionate about with us that he makes sure that some of his last words to his disciples are about this very thing, being connected to him. I want to look at three things about this connection, Christ's part, God's part, and our part. Let's start with Christ's part. Christ's part is this. Uh, Christ is going to nourish us so that we can grow fruit. I'm the vine, Jesus says. You're the branches. And we have no problem in understanding this metaphor, right? We, we understand how a branch receives its, its nourishment, its life. It stays alive as that branch is connected to either a vine or maybe the trunk of a tree. I mean, we, we get that. We get that image. Um, what does Jesus... What does Jesus mean in, this, in this, this metaphor that he gives us? Well, for one thing, he means that there is no other vine, no other tree trunk that we can connect um, ourselves to in order to grow fruit in our life. He says, I am the true vine. Notice that, not just I am a vine or I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine, the one vine that you can go to for fruit in your life. If you want fruit that will last, Jesus says, I'm the only source that you can go to for that fruit. And so one of the important things from the scripture is this point that our connection with Christ is necessary to grow fruit. Look at verse 4. He says, remain in me. I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Now, what kind of fruit do you think Jesus is talking about here? Um, because we can think of fruit in a variety of ways, a fruitful life. If you were to, um, uh, I don't know, be it a memorial for someone, and someone were to say about this person, oh, she lived a very fruitful life, or he lived a very fruitful life. What are some of the things that you might expect to hear about that person. What do we connect with having a fruitful life? Uh, influence, maybe? Um, that person was really influential. Maybe um, prosperous. Wow, had a fruitful life. Owned several companies and became very prosperous. Um, you might think maybe that person had a very large family, Right? And the fruit of many, many, many children. Those are all ways that we think about um, fruitfulness in life. Maybe you think of, back to the impact, um, kind of a, the influence or impact a Christian can have on, on someone else. Maybe you've been a, a children's Sunday school teacher for years. And you're able to, you know, now that you are a veteran at it, you're able to think back and look back to all the the children who have gone through the church and graduated and the, the influence you've, you've had in their life. Oh, I've had a, a fruitful life. Is, is that the kind of fruit maybe that Jesus is talking about, this Christian impact on others? Maybe, maybe. The word um, for bearing fruit here implies this organic growth, like bearing a child. You know, it's something that grows from within. It's very organic. 
It's, it's a mother's life flowing into her unborn child. Um, and in the same way, Jesus' life is, is flowing in us. He's giving birth to something on our, on our insides. It's something in, inwardly growing in us. And the Bible talks about the fruit that inwardly grows in us as we have the Holy Spirit in us, right? And that's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Everyone wants to say patience. And Avi says forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. You see, when you are connected with Christ, his, his life flows in you. His being starts growing in us. Um, how can you tell if something, how can you tell if a plant is alive? Remember the, the old freeze-mageddon we had back in, in February? And you went outside in your backyard and you thought, I don't know if any of this stuff is alive. <laughs> it's all brown and looks ugly. I mean, how could you tell that it was alive? Well, you, you had to wait around a week or so, and then you finally saw this little sprig of green come from this dead-looking brown plant. And you're like, no, this is, this is alive. There was... There was nourishment. There was this, the, the water, the nutrients. It was in there, after all. And Jesus is saying, if I'm in you, if you're connected to me and I'm connected to you, you will bear fruit. It will come out. It will. You have to look for the fruit. You'll see that you are alive. Now, J.C. Ryle, the old Anglican bishop from the 1800s, uh, he, this is what he said about um, the fruit of the Spirit. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is the only satisfactory evidence of being a true Christian. You look for the fruit. That's how you know something is alive. You look for the little, the green coming out of the, the brown, dead-looking plant, and you know, ah, it's still alive. But this passage describes something else that is needed for this fruit. To, to grow large in our life. So Jesus says, you stay connected to me, and I stay connected to you. You will bear fruit. But he also mentions something else that is necessary in having large, beautiful, uh, mature fruit growing um, in your life. He says, I have a part, and he says, my father has a part as well. What is the father's part in us growing fruit? He says in verse 2, well, let's get to the point first. Um, God's part is prune us so that we can bear more fruit. Jesus says in verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And eventually, the older you get, I mean, we understand that. If you, 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 you spend enough time with plants, you, we get the, the idea of pruning. Um, 
I don't particularly have a green thumb. I didn't really care about gardening. I don't remember when I learned about pruning. You guys know about pruning? Yeah, they're like, no, well, maybe. Um, you know, pruning is one of the most counterintuitive thoughts out there. Um, in order to get something to grow, you cut it back to almost nothing. And that's pretty counterintuitive, right? That's like, it doesn't make sense. Explain that to a third grader. Hey, I want my uh, third grade, my three-year-old, third grader will get it, a three-year-old. Uh, you know, I want to, I want this to be healthier, so I'm going to cut it so it almost dies. That makes no sense. But we know that it works because we've seen it work, right? How many of you seen pruning work? Back in February with a freeze-mageddon, you know, you, everything's brown and looking dead, so you're like, well... Let's cut all this brown stuff off because it's ugly. And then, wow, I mean, things are exploding now. We have this rose bush in the back that I had to trim back just to put a towel over it. It ran out of big blankets during the freeze. And I'm like, how am I going to get this towel over this rose bush? Well, I just cut it down to nothing. And it is bearing roses like I've never seen before now. We've seen pruning work. You cut something back to where it looks like it's not going to make it, and it just is sprouting like crazy now. So God knows that there are some things in our life that need to be trimmed back. And that's the idea of God pruning us. Maybe God knows that there's some attribute in our life that hinders us from walking with him in full faith and trust and obedience. And God's the gardener. He wants us to be beautiful. So he'll, he'll get out the pruning shears and let's let's trim that off. Let's uh, let's prune that that quality that is hindering us in walking in faith and obedience. Let's trim that off. Um, and when God takes out his pruning knife and does that, often it's uncomfortable or it could be just downright painful as you go through it. But what grows in place of what is trimmed off, we know because we've seen is it comes back beautiful. And that just demonstrates something that we already know, this principle in life, that beauty in life, d- does beauty ever come easily? No. I mean, think of, think of a, a marriage relationship. Have a beautiful marriage, unlike what Hollywood may want us to think. I mean, it takes work and effort, and it does not come easily. It comes through sacrifice, lay down your life kind of love, showing forgiveness when it hurts badly. But we know that beauty in life, oh, when when you cultivate it through that effort, through that pain, through that struggle, it it. There's great beauty to be found. Uh, you know, the, the beauty of a great physical physique, you know. Um, some people, for some people, that may come quite naturally. Not for your pastor, right? Um, he's got to stop eating and do a lot of exercising to look halfway approachable, you know. Um 
I mean, we know this in life, that, that beauty comes through difficulty. And when you think about the fruit that Jesus wants us to bear, it makes sense that that is only going to go through, through difficulty. Um, how, does, how does self-control grow in your life? I mean, self-control grows when there's something appealing that you have to resist, right? It doesn't just come. It comes through difficulty. Um, you know, my appetite has gone through some changes over the years back in college you know i could put down a half pound cheeseburger and that was just like warm up for the main course you know that was just getting in and i can't do that now but there is something that i have to i mean i have to work really hard if you put a box of donuts in front of me you're sharing a box of donuts for me it's like here's one for you here's 11 for me that's me sharing a box of donuts um Man, I have, and I can, I can still eat <laughs> a box of donuts. I have to resist, and it, I'm resisting what I know is going to give me a little short-term pleasure, and I have to work at exercising self-control. But that, and that's how it grows, is, is through a little bit of discomfort. Um, what about patience? How does patience grow? You know, the, the, the old joke about patience is, you know, don't, Pray for patience because you'll really hate what God puts you through to get patience, something like that. Um, you know, as, as I as I showed on the screen, that word, um, patience, and the fruit of the spirit, it's forbearance. It means restraining from showing anger. So it's not patience like, oh, I'm having to wait on a long line. That's not the fruit of the spirit. Patience. It's Someone's making me really angry, and I'm, I have the ability, if that fruit is in me, um, to resist showing anger. So how do, you, how do you grow that fruit? Well, you grow that fruit when people are doing things that upset you, and it's uncomfortable, it's painful um, when that happens. The, the beautiful fruit that God grows in us comes through difficulty. Uh, you know, I can think of plenty of things that were cut in my life that led to health in the long run, but I can't think of a single one of those where it wasn't at least slightly uncomfortable when it was cut for me. And sometimes it was just downright painful going through those experiences. Um, in the moment, it appears as, as, appears as a trial. And God uses trial to to prune us. That's his pruning shears, is, is trial, trials, suffering. J.C. Ryle, that English, Anglican bishop, he, he wrote about how, um, how trial, how God uses trial to, to grow us. Um, students, I want to release the students, by the way. Um, you're going to talk more about pruning God pruning us to bring fruit in our life. So dismiss y'all to go to your Bible study. Let's go through things that um, God does through trial in our life. One, trial draws us to Christ. In fact, when you're going through a trial, uh, you can tell fruit is growing in you in one way. When you're 
when you're hungering for Christ, when you're longing for Christ, when you're going through suffering, like, oh, Jesus, I just want to be close to you now. Um, you know, when I have a lot of other pleasures in life, I can get distracted by them. And when God strips away some of those other pleasures through trial, I, I'm drawn towards Christ. Two, trial drives us to Bible and prayer, because that's how I, that's how we relate to Jesus Christ, is by listening to him as we read our scriptures, as we read the Bible, um, praying to Jesus, talking to him, listening to, uh, to Jesus. Three, trial shows us our hearts. Trials are very effective in revealing to us the things that we put our hope in or that we look to for happiness. Um, and when they are threatened or when they slip away from us, we see how we respond. Uh, this is the third Freeze-mageddon story I'm going to share with y'all. I think I may have already have when we went through it. The, the third night, my family was without, the th third day, without power. Um, the third day, we actually had to stay at home at night because the first two nights without power, we had places to go to that did have power. The third night, we were at home, my whole family. It was dark. Um, I think we had a fire going, maybe. And you think that's just the recipe of a good old-fashioned little house on the prairie, good moment, right? Come on, kids, let's hunt around this fire and tell fun stories. We were just sitting there pouting, miserable on the couch. That's how we celebrated our third day without power. And I, and I realized, wow, I really look to comfort, electricity, for happiness. <laughs> You pull that away, it exposed my heart. It was not pretty. Uh, four, trial weans us from the world and its desires. When we realize the temporary nature of things in this world, uh, sooner or later, sooner or later, we come to our senses. <laughs> and we realize all this the stuff I'm looking for pleasure in, it's, it's just temporary, it's just temporary. But, I know what is eternal, and that's Jesus Christ in my relationship with him. And five, trial makes us humble. And several times in my life, God has used experiences of failure, my failure, um, experiences of decisions that I've made that I thought would go one way, but they turned out completely opposite. Um, those experiences to develop humility in me. At least I, I hope some humility. Where I, I realize if I try to make my life by myself, I'm going to mess up badly. And I must, I must, I must rely on Jesus Christ making my life for me. Because when I do it, it doesn't turn out very pretty. And that's, that's humble, humility. That's seeing your life appropriately, how you should see it. And that is my life is completely dependent upon Christ to make it. And none of those uh, tri trials are particularly present. Um, they can be excruciating. They can come across just as downright suffering. But there's something inside of us that knows this is for good. And maybe even something in us that is thankful for it. I like what Malcolm Muggeridge says about suffering. I don't have this on a screen. I'll just read it to you. Here's what he says. Um, he was a big thinker in Britain, a uh, Christian thinker. Uh, I think he came to Christ later on in his life, so he kind of saw life through two different lenses, kind of the atheistic 
there is no God lens and then realizing what life is about once he realized that Christ is, is Lord. And here's what he says about suffering. Supposing you eliminated suffering, what a dreadful place this world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be the most ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendency of this unspeakable little creature man to feel over-important and over-pleased with himself, it would disappear. He's bad enough now, but how would he, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. You know, it's suffering that God brings about good through suffering and that God prunes us through suffering and we can be thankful for that. So Christ has his part in this connection. God has his part in this connection. And we have a part too. Let's look at our part. Our part is to remain in Christ so that we can grow true fruit. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does he mean by you can do nothing? Because apparently you, I mean, we can do things without Christ. I can preach a really lousy sermon without Christ. Um, I can go jogging without Christ. There's lots of things we can do without Christ. I can, I can lose my temper and yell at my kids without Christ. Um, we can go throughout our day and do things without Christ. I mean, we, there are things we can do without Christ. So what does Jesus mean when he says you can do nothing? What is impossible to do without Christ? Without being to connected to Christ, it is impossible for me to do things that require the fruit of his spirit. I think that's what he's meaning. The things that only the fruit can do, you will not be able to do that if you do not remain in me. I cannot do anything to benefit God's kingdom without abiding in Christ. I can, I can be generous, maybe, without Christ, but I can't be generous cheerfully without Christ. Um, I may be able to go through adversity without Christ, just kind of muscle my way through it, but I won't be able to go through adversity, hopefully, without Christ. I can make decisions without Christ. I can't make decisions prayerfully without Christ. You see, there are some things only that we can only do with this fruit growing in us, and those are the things that Jesus says you will never, ever, ever be able to do without abiding in me. And see, here's the, I think one of the, One of the reasons Jesus says this to his disciples and us is so that we will, wanting these things, want to be connected to him. <laughs> I want that fruit in my life. I want to be able to have hope when I'm going through adversity. I want to be able to pray to make decisions. I want, I want to be a cheerful person. I want this fruit in my life. And Jesus says, if you want that, you have to abide in me. He wants us to see how important it is for us to remain in him. So here's something that we see. Remaining in Christ is motivated by true fruit. If I want that true fruit in my life, Jesus says, the only way for you to have it is for you to be connected to me. And if I'm not seeing fruit in my life, what does that do? That drives me to Jesus because I want that fruit. But there's one thing I, I want us to watch out for. Um, because I can mislead myself. I can mislead myself into thinking that I'm doing pretty good on my own. And so we need to watch out 
for something, we need to watch out for false fruit. Because I can do that. I can make false fruit in my life. Watch out for false fruit. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 um, is a singular fruit, by the way. And, uh, you know, the, what, how do we think through that, that great list? By the way, it, it's really good if, if we identify our life in Christ or recognize our life in Christ by seeing fruit. It's really good to know the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, that's just a memory verse that we should commit to. Um, so we can recognize that fruit. But it doesn't. those fruit don't grow singularly in our life. You don't have an abundance of one and a total lack of others of what is described. When we see that, when I feel like, ooh, I'm doing great in one, maybe not so in others, you have to think, is this false fruit? Is this something that I've manufactured? Because I can do that. Let me give you a, a few examples. One, um, peace without kindness. I mean, I can, I can manufacture peace in my life. I can stock up on savings. I can hoard all my wealth and put it in the bank and have a sense of peace in my life, right? But I may be very far from being kind. I could be Ebenezer Scrooge and be a miserly, miserable person with no kindness. Um, so you can manufacture your own fruit. It's false fruit. Another example, love without goodness. You know, one of, one of the secular messages today is just, just love. All you need is to be loving. Um, be completely open to any attitude, any action from anyone at any time. But being truly loving doesn't always mean showing indiscriminate permissiveness, this attitude of anything goes, anything is fine. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks, talks about speaking the truth in love. Sometimes love can be confrontational. I can be completely silent, completely unwilling to confront any embedded, entrenched, damaging behavior in someone. Call it loving. But maybe I'm, I'm not being good at the moment. Maybe I don't have that goodness in me. One more example of false fruit, self-control without joy. You know, you can show great resolve to avoid sin. You can be like a Pharisee. You know, you can use your own willpower. You can become quite prideful in your avoidance of sin or your avoidance of excess in life, and you can be completely void of joy. That's, that's a false fruit of self-control. That's not self-control that comes through Christ's joy being in you. We must rely on our connection with Christ for the true full fruit to grow in us. Um, and the other thing that we see about remaining in Christ is it is disciplined. We see that in this passage. It's disciplined. I think it's easy to, to read through John chapter 15 and nod our heads and say, yeah, we want to be connected to Christ. That's a great thing. But sometimes we might not actually do it. And look at what Jesus says in verse uh, 7. He says, if you remain in me, and we might think that he's going to repeat what he has said several times up to this point, and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish. But that's not what he says. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so Jesus is describing how we abide in him, how he abides in us, and that is through his word, one for one way or method. Um, we abide in Christ by being committed to reading his scriptures and reading his word. And if, if, I, if I am committed to my relationship with my wife, Melissa, I will be committed to listening to her, right? And talking to her. Prayer, reading God's word, that's the relational commitment that we make to really abide in Christ and for him to abide in us. So we need to be committed to reading his word frequently and praying consistently. It takes discipline in our life. It's, it's disi- it takes discipline to, to remain in Christ. Uh, Stuart Briscoe tells a story of um, once preaching in Poland during the Cold War. And he says, um, I'll, I'll read what he, he, he writes. I walked into a dilapidated building crammed with 100 young people. I realized it was a unique opportunity. Through an interpreter, I preached from John chapter 15, this passage, on abiding in Christ. Ten minutes into my message, the lights went out, completely dark, pitch black. My interpreter urged me to keep talking. Unable to see my notes or read my Bible, I continued on. After I had preached in the dark for 20 minutes, the lights suddenly blinked on, and what I saw startled me. Everyone was on their knees, and they remained there for the rest of my message. The next day, I commented on this to one man, and he said, After you left, we stayed on our knees most of the night. Your teaching was new to us. We wanted to make sure we were abiding in Christ. So, for one thing, that shows hunger to abide in Christ, right? But it also shows maybe the uncommon discipline that we can exercise to abide in Christ. Um, It is very true that we can relate to Christ in very common ways, like listening, like communicating, like talking in prayer. Common ways relating to Christ. But relating to Christ is is never common in itself. You're relating to the Lord of the universe. There's nothing common about that and providing discipline, scheduling time with Christ. Kneeling, kneeling in prayer are some uncommon, well, common, uncommon ways, ways to intentionally um, create the space where I am setting to abide in Christ. So let's, let's, sum, um, let's sum this up. Dwell in Christ by dwelling on Christ. I think that's one thing that we take from this passage. Abiding in Christ can come through thinking frequently of Christ, thinking about how Christ would would lead us in in a certain situation, um, how Christ would have us respond in a certain situation. Thinking about that, dwelling on that, because that's what the external expression of this internal fruit is, right? Christ is internally growing us with fruit. It's his fruit. It's his life. I'm going to externally use that fruit in some situation. And one way that I 
and guided in that is to actually think through Christ. How would you have me respond? What would you be doing in this situation? Because it's your life that is in me that you now want to flow through me in some external way. So dwell on Christ by dwelling, uh, dwell in Christ by dwelling on Christ. Trust God as the gardener. We can trust that God will not 